Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Going back to our 25 years podcasts and this series that we're, we're taking a loving look back at, at the Ravens history, uh, joined today by a, uh, by a special guest, Joey Platania. How are you doing, Joe? Ken, thanks so much for having me. Great to be with you. Uh, fantastic. We, we met at camp several years ago. I appreciate you making time for me. And Joe's one of the few guys who's been around long enough to talk about today's topic, which is one of the most important in this entire series, is how did the Ravens actually get a football team? How did Baltimore actually get a football team back after losing the Colts? So, Joey, you were around more at the time. Maybe I'll let you set this up in terms of, of where they were in the late 80s, maybe the Bidwell mistake and all that. Try and set us up through some of this. Yeah, well, uh, everybody remembers March of 84. That I was at that point. The Mayflower vans moved out on that snowy morning, and I couldn't even eat my cereal that morning as I looked out onto my backyard. I could still uh, vividly recall uh, the, the the pain in my gut and the pain every Baltimorean felt in his or her gut that day. But uh, just as uh, Cleveland only had to wait three years and get an expansion team of their own, it was about four years after that in the, the spring and summer of 1988 when it appeared the first glimpse of hope for Baltimore fans was coming, that a football team was coming because the uh, the Bidwell family had owned the Cardinals for a long time which, by the way, the oldest continuously operating sports franchise in North America. It started in 1894, but we won't go through all that. They were in Chicago, moved to St. Louis in 1960. And in 1988, they were getting dissatisfied there. They wanted a new stadium. They wanted a a fresh start. 
1988, it came down to Phoenix and Baltimore, and it chose uh, Phoenix. And I'll never forget the column that Ken Rosenthal wrote in the Baltimore Sun when that decision came down. The lead sentence was, the weather angle, it killed us. That's basically why they chose Phoenix over Baltimore. Uh, I don't need to tell anybody about the climate in both of those cities. So uh, they went out there and uh, once again, Baltimore wanting an expansion team. I think a lot of people would have been rather ambivalent if the Cardinals had come here, just as they did when the Browns did, because what Baltimore didn't want to do is to uh, do to another team what Indianapolis did to this town. They didn't want to have a, a set of broken, heartbroken fans uh, crying and moaning about their team leaving. Baltimore wanted to do it the right way. The inherent, de- the inherent decency of the fans here is something I'll never forget. So uh, a few years later, the stadium offer, which I'm sure we'll get into in a bit later, was on the table. It was very attractive. A lot of owners to want to come here. Uh, I believe the Tampa Bay Buccaneers ownership was about ready to pull the trigger on the move. Art Modell simply beat them to the punch after warning everybody in Cleveland. Yes. Okay. I just because we, we have another step in here that we're kind of missing chronologically is there's an sure. expansion effort. So, so yes, I, I, I agree. And the expansion effort is key in understanding what you're just talking about, I think, because the I my own personal theory is the Ravens lost out on expansion uh, when Charlotte and uh, Jacksonville got their teams right. in part because the other NFL owners wanted that offer still on the table so they could leverage oh, yeah. their own towns for, for new stadiums all over the country. And they said, no well, question. you know, if we give that away, then there's nothing on the table that's done that. And even, even other teams like the Glazers and, and other, uh, when, when, when they're in Tampa, I guess at this point, uh, we're talking about you know, the Glazers were not yet in Tampa. They bought Tampa later, didn't they? I, I think it was a bit later. Maybe Hugh Culverhouse was still in charge there. Okay. Because he, uh, the, 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 the fan base down there was very unhappy with him for several moves that he made, most notably alienating Bo Jackson into spurning Tampa Bay. But uh, there was a <laughs> lot of things they didn't like about him. So in in uh, in the early nineties, the the I don't know who it was. It was the Maryland Stadium Authority that then put out a attempt to sell club seats both at the old stadium, but more importantly at the at the new plan stadium. Yeah, yeah, it it, uh, it was it was uh, they were getting on the bandwagon of club seats and PSLs, which were a new thing at the time. I vividly remember the Baltimore media being invited to Memorial Stadium in one of their kind of rooms in the bowels of the stadium where the where some of the people from the Carolina Panthers came up to teach the Baltimore media how PSLs worked. Uh, <laughs> I'll never forget that because it was a room in the stadium that I never knew existed. So, And I'd been there many, many times. So, but, uh, yeah, the, the people from the Panthers had to come up here and teach the Baltimore media how all that worked, how people paid for them, what they had the rights to, and all that stuff. And it, uh, it was different, that's for sure. It was something the fans here definitely were not used to. Right. Very, very different, by the way, in the NFL to own a PSL as opposed to in baseball. In, in, in baseball, when the Orioles built their new stadium, they had a completely anti-scalping view. They didn't want it around their stadium. Right. You know, they, they didn't want people selling their tickets, uh, you know, and they even put it in the Orioles season ticket contract. In the NFL, it's just a very accepted part of having tickets is you have an opportunity sometimes to get more on the secondary market. And, you know, the attractiveness of that is even something that they're thinking about. So part of what happens with that is when you have a lot of PSLs for sale, people may come up and try and buy them in droves when it, when a franchise is starting out in Baltimore, 
their last experience with the Colts had not been good. Of course, the Col- with the Colts, generally speaking, they had been sold out for many years. But in the, when they were about to leave town, they were at 15000 a game, 18000 a game. They weren't mm-hmm. drawing, of course. And, and it would have been harder to understand that Baltimore was really going to fall in love with football again the way they did. Yeah, this this it was a very special culture, a very special time when the Baltimore Colts were in their infancy and on through the '60s and '70s, and by the time the uh, the late '70s or early '80s came around, well, times change, and unfortunately, uh, people change, the business climate change, and you have different kind of people getting into the business. Uh, there, ergo, Robert Ursay as uh, different than anybody had ever seen before, certainly around here. And uh, the, the climate certainly changed and you're dealing with a different sort of personality. And that's being very charitable, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, all the old, the Colts owners had something about them. Mikhail Rosenblum was, was one of the guys to raise his hands to go to the AFC, which was very unusual. He's the first one to put his hand up because they were paying three million dollars. Yeah, that and he, helped. He, and, he, and he wanted that money. And, 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 and Art Modell and Art Rooney, they always did things hand in glove because they were such good friends, even though their teams mm-hmm. were rivals. So that's why Baltimore, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh were the three teams to move. Mm-hmm. And then they and then they got Paul Brown, who had been an old NFL uh, stalwart for a number of years, to to come and be the fourth team with the with that the Bengals and the yeah the Bengals were an AFL expansion team, and then when the merger happened, they just simply climbed on board. Mm-hmm. All right, so so that expansion effort went. I I'll, I'll tell you my experience with this. I put in money on the expansion effort in 1992. Is my recollection in terms of the year, and there were some things happening that we had that silly uh, preseason game between the Dolphins and and uh, Saints. The give Baltimore uh, the ball night. That's it. That is exactly the thing, wasn't it? Give Baltimore. What, you, what the, else do you remember about that? Give Baltimore the ball. It was all it was over a TV. They made I don't know. They may have made T-shirts, sweatshirts. I have no idea. But the reason why I remember it was '92. That game matched up the Miami Dolphins and the New Orleans Saints. And, of course, Miami was the draw because Don Shula used to coach here, even though he's remembered as a Dolphins coach. But that was the year that one of the most devastating hurricanes in Atlantic hurricane history happened, Hurricane Andrew. And it was such a long-lasting hurricane, the two cities that it devastated were Miami and New Orleans. So that tied in to um, give Baltimore the ball night because some of those profits proceeds went towards hurricane relief in both cities. So you talk about serendipity, taking a terrible incident and and using that ex, uh, those exhibition monies to uh, to help a couple of really battered communities at that time. Uh, so uh, definitely good in, in any kind of theory. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't do much for Baltimore's football hopes at that point, because as the expansion thing, uh, as the expansion situation progressed, um, a lot of people thought St. Louis would get one of the teams and that, you know, Jacksonville and Charlotte, uh, Charlotte had a very strong offer on the table in terms of what they were what they were giving. Uh, but a lot of people thought football might return to St. Louis just because it's a big population center that didn't have a team anywhere closer, I guess, in Kansas City. Right. Yeah. Kansas City would probably be it. And uh, Chicago is a bit north of there. But, you know, that's a heck of a big market, too. But in hindsight, when you bring up the fact that St. Louis was favored to get one of the teams, it seemed to be, again, in hindsight, a bit of backward thinking, a bit of backward thinking on the on the part of uh, the fan bases and, and the media observers covering that at the time, because uh, what the league was trying to do was expand into new areas, get new markets. Uh, personally, I mean, maybe that's just my bias coming through. I thought Baltimore would be one of the favorites, along with Jacksonville and or Charlotte. I know only two spots were available, but Charlotte seemed to be the fait accompli among the owners. 
and it was approved very quickly to be at the time the 29th franchise. So the 30th, the 30th franchise was going to be between uh, Baltimore and Jacksonville and St. Louis. I believe St. Louis was eliminated in the first round of voting, and then it came down to Baltimore and Jacksonville. Baltimore. Uh, currently, I think the 25th largest TV market, Jacksonville's around 55th, which is why it was uh, <laughs> the fact that Jacksonville won out. It was a bigger upset than Super Bowl three. But Jacksonville, <laughs> Jacksonville did win out. They beat out of town with a much more rich football history and 30 notches higher in the TV market rankings. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, Baltimore was left on the outside looking in again. And again, like I said, Baltimore wanted to do it the right way. Get an expansion team and don't break another city's heart. But that was a great chance that they had right there. And it, 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 at the time, it didn't happen. And it looked like uh, it would never happen. Yeah, it was kind of a two-part process because the first you mentioned it in passing. I want to make sure people go back to this is that Carolina was given the 29th franchise. And then they waited several months to give out number 30. And yeah, so I true. think part, part of the thought process there was that they were going to string these teams along, but also part of it was levering uh, stadium um, commitments for money and whatnot locally all across the NFL. And that Baltimore's you know, offer to build a publicly financed stadium was an incredibly powerful asset to the NFL to hold um, you know, at, 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 during that process. Also, as it's discussed to me, as it's been discussed with me over the years, there was a lot of flirting going on with the NFL owners during the expansion process. Al Davis is a, is one of that boy that would have completely sucked to get the Raiders. That's all I can suck because they, they would they had no loyalty to Baltimore at all. But they but they 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 uh, they, 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 they slept around on everybody. I swear yeah, they did. They've they've slept around on every every town they've been. They change locations as often as a hooker changes underwear is the, is one of the comments I always like to hear. But anyway, they are very very much a prostitute and and uh, uh, they're in their fourth city now, always trying to sell themselves as a general franchise. That's not what Baltimore wants. Baltimore wants no. a local franchise. No, this is a this is not a transient town by any means. This is blue collar, salt of the earth, grassroots. If if you're, this is like the Olive Garden of America. If you're here, you're family. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, it, maybe because I'm Italian, I would pull on that reference, but just the same. I mean, we we're made of a different sort of stock here. We have a different kind of mindset here. It's it's not transient. It's not fly by night. It's not trendy. If if you're gonna if you're gonna put down roots here, uh, you better make the commitment. Okay, here we go with the with the hooker analogy again. Hard, yeah. Horrible to say, but if you're gonna if you're gonna make the commitment here, you better be true to us. Yeah, that's basically a. How I can more tactfully uh, say it and cleaning all this up? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it certainly is a process. So now we, we've come to the end of the expansion effort. There's no more expansion teams to be given this round, you know. And of course, there's there's always another expansion round that'll come some someday later. And the, the Texans, in fact, got a team. Who am I missing? So the Texans, the, the were, Cleveland Browns were an expansion. Oh, team. right, there you go. The Cleveland Browns yeah. and the Texans. Yes. So so there were there were additional rounds of expansion, and presumably Baltimore maybe would have had another chance there. I don't really believe it. I believe no. that as long as the publicly financed stadium was on the table and as long as the, the, the Maryland had significant detractors. And it's oh, interesting yeah. because on baseball and football, this is so diametrically opposed. But Jack Kent Cook did not want a team in Baltimore for very obvious reasons. He didn't want competition with the Redskins. Um, you know, Paul Tagliabue was a very outspoken. I mean, he said some things that were 
beyond stupid for an NFL commissioner to say. He says, maybe there are football towns, there are museum towns, maybe Baltimore's a museum town. Yeah, a, a Georgetown University graduate. He played basketball there. Not for John Thompson, I don't think. He came along a little bit before that. But uh, yeah, Tagliabue, native New Yorker, uh, D.C., uh, Georgetown law graduate, which is how he became the counsel to the NFL in the, in the Roselle years. And uh, he didn't like it. And um, another fellow who was opposed to this, we went over this before we uh, mm-hmm. hit the button. Was uh, a current Maryland senator named Chris Van Hollen, who was in the House of Delegates at the time, representing Montgomery County. Now, to me, Montgomery and PG counties—you might as well call them annexed PG. territories of the District yeah. of Columbia—and and they don't like Baltimore. They're always looking down their nose on Baltimore with a superiority complex that I don't think they've earned or deserve to have. Mm-hmm. See, everyone talks about an inferiority complex in Baltimore. I've lived here all my life. I think it's a myth. I just think it's a superiority complex from south of us that they haven't earned or deserved. Baltimore's a better sports town. I don't care what anybody says. But yet the folks down south, 40 miles to our south, including most notably Chris Van Hollen and Paul Tagliabue, uh, Chris Van Hollen voted against the stadium package. I definitely remember that because it just smacked to me of typical DC-ism. I know that's not a word, but uh, that's certainly what it looked like at the time because DC was definitely – going to put the roadblock in our way. Yeah. If, if you think about this and compare and contrast to what happened with baseball, of course, the Expos had to go somewhere. They had to move them out of Montreal and, and they had to move somewhere or they had to contract the league, which had, which I mean, it's not like that's never happened. There's certainly been teams that have been folded up. And, you know, during our lifetimes, Joe, that we saw the WFL come and go, for example. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, that would have been a, an example of that. But the other things, the USFL and other teams fold up, leagues fold up. But it's rare that you have a really successful league like Major League Baseball that contracts teams. But it did happen, or, or it was thought to be happen, that Minnesota and, and uh, Montreal could have gone away. And right. instead... They moved Montreal to Washington. They really took away half or more of, of Baltimore's market. And it was a lot of the, you know, uh, the, the additional money in the market was down closer to D.C. But those people had been good Oriole fans. They'd come to games. And it was, it was really a shame that that, uh, that, that happened. And then the, the, it, there's, a, there's a loss of focus on, the, on the, right, the TV rights that went with that because that was supposed to be the wear guild, the, the, make, the reparations payment, if you will, to Baltimore for losing a huge portion of their market. And then the, you know, the, the, the nationals are saying, we can't keep paying that. And yes, you can, or you can move. I mean, those are, the, those are really the options available because this, this is our market and you, and you stole a large portion of it. Yeah, it's, it's uh, called a contract, you know. Yeah, it's it's yes, called exactly. a contract. And I guess DCP, People living with uh, corruption as they do, they don't seem to want to honor the contract. And, and the fact that a couple of court decisions have gone Washington's way on this is stunning to me. It really is. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you, you, the, the diametrically opposed nature. Don't ever think that, that Baltimore and Washington are in the same boat. Basically, no. I don't think it's true for football, but for baseball, they are locked in a death struggle. And there will only be one franchise here come 30 years from now. I've, I've you know, been saying that for a while and using 30 years for a while. So it, it might not it might not actually happen within the, another 15. But but well, I, they, I, they, I will say this, though. Washington may have the larger market and fan base. Baltimore has the better stadium. So yeah. which which one wins out in that battle? That's very intriguing to me. Yeah. It's really it's really hard to do as badly as they did in Washington in terms of building a new stadium with all of the great stadiums out there. I mean, Canada Yards is, stands out among the 1990s stadiums, but how could you do it so poorly? 
Yeah. Relative to relative that, that, that and, the, and that new Comiskey in Chicago, which opened a year before Oriole Park and which I thought was going to you know, steal Oriole Park's thunder. Oh, my God. They really laid an egg on that one. They tanked it. Yeah. Yeah, they did. All right. So let's talk a little bit. We get a little closer now to um, the, the time. So there's, there's a lot of talk going around. Uh, other teams are trying to lever Baltimore's public stadium, public finance stadium into something for themselves, threatening to leave their cities willy nilly across the NFL, always coming back to, well, I don't think it's any secret that Baltimore has a publicly fine, you know. So y- you heard the language at that time. And then in the middle of the night, give us kind of the, what you know about that, Joy, what you can detail. Oh, about the closing the deal with Cleveland? Yeah. Well, I will say this. Uh, like, like I had mentioned earlier, Tampa Bay could have beat him to the punch, but uh, Art Modell had uh, tried to let his feelings be known, a, a fixture in the Cleveland community. I mean, for that alone, he should have been in the Hall of Fame, but that's another subject for another day. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he, he had tried to warn the Cleveland community, uh, you know, help me out here or, or I'm going to leave. And I, I'll just never forget at that last Browns home game before they moved, everybody had signs up that said that Art lied. Lied about what? He, he, he made his – this was not the same as the Ursay situation, although some people say it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Art Modell was very sober, very cogent, and he made his intentions clear to everyone. You know, the Indians got, uh, at the time, Jacobs Field. The Cavaliers got Gundarina, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I think there was a science museum, a science center built there, too. I'm not really sure about that. But the other three uh, used up enough money, and Art – made it clear to Mayor Michael White at the time and the Cleveland uh, you know, city fathers and the business community, look, everybody's getting theirs. I filled up this uh, death trap of a stadium for years and years and years. People on the Ravens PR staff, uh, Kevin Byrne, Francine Lubera, would talk about the leaks in the press box, the leaks coming from the roof above and walking through puddles uh, in the concourses and all that sort of thing. They, uh, they had firsthand knowledge of that sort of thing. So, Art laid everything out on the table and said, look, if you don't help me out here, something's going to happen. And then in the middle of the 95 season, which was a very promising one for the Browns on the field, it looked as though they had built a team that could compete to go to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. Ozzie Newsom is on record as saying they would have won a Super Bowl if they'd have stayed in Cleveland with those players. But, of course, the announcement of the move uh, on the first week of November Uh, November 4th, the Friday night when Mark Viviano broke it on Channel 11, November 6th, when it became known and uh, right before a Cleveland home game, no less. And Mm -hmm. that's when uh, the season came out from under the Cleveland Browns. And uh, that's when a lot of uh, a tempest in a teapot of uh, raw emotion took place in Cleveland. Right. So it was, it was 1995 and, and they were there in time for 1996. For some reason, I have a recollection that was most of the 1995 season. Maybe that's still true of November 1st or whatever, that the Browns were playing under this dark cloud and, and you know, with a fan base that's, that's just incredibly pissed off about what's happened. Yeah. The, the announcement of the move, like I said, the first week in November. Before then, the Browns had gotten off to a great start. It looked like they were going to be a play. They were a playoff team in 94. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe uh, Bill Belichick was their head coach, as a matter of fact. But they lost They lost in the second round of the playoffs to New England. Irony Bell there. And then uh, 95 came around. They put another good team on the field. And then news of the move came down. And uh, the air went out of the balloon in Cleveland, mm-hmm. just as it did here in Baltimore in March of 84. And which is why some Baltimore fans were rather ambivalent towards the team coming here, because we looked at what happened in Cleveland and we were like, hey, that was us. That was us crying in our beer uh, so long ago. So, you know, uh, it, but at, at the same time, I was saying, speaking just for me, I was saying to myself, look, 
we've been out of the league for 11 or 12 years. Cleveland only got prom- Cleveland got promised an expansion team within three years, a new stadium. They keep the logo. They keep the records. Baltimore didn't get all that nationwide sympathy. And as far as I'm concerned, we're a better football town than Cleveland. I mean, right. you just look at the history. I mean, yeah. the Cleveland people would, you know, be throwing pierogies at me if they heard that. I don't care. I think I'm right. But uh, another city's heart was broken. That's what Baltimore didn't want. But to get back into the league where we rightfully belonged had to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's we, they tried every legitimate avenue first. They tried expansion. They were whored around like everybody's business in every other NFL city to get what they wanted. I mean, eventually it just happens. You have to play dirty to win every once in a while. And, 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 you know, there wasn't another way, there wasn't another expansion on the site. And, you know, even if there had been the funding might not have stayed around, you know, this is a city with with, that that might not have kept the funding available. So, uh, you know, particularly if, you know, you want the NFL to do something, you want them to award you a franchise. One of the things you need to just do is, is make the financing temporary. You know, yeah. you're, you're, you should do that because, you know, obviously you want it. You, you want to have the ability to extend it. But but you also want to have the ability to force them to make a decision now. I believe the funding was temporary in the mid 90s, because I remember an anecdote where uh, the deadline for the funding to remain on the table was about to run out. And mm-hmm. a lot of Colts, uh, old Colts Corral supporters, everybody went down to Annapolis to try to urge the, the legislature, keep the funding on the table. And uh, the Colt band showed up played the Baltimore Colt fight song walking up the street towards the state house. It was a moment that made a lot of uh, grown men cry that day because uh, after that happened, after that impromptu rally in Annapolis, the funding was reapproved. It stayed on the table just in time for Art Modell to take advantage of it. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, a great story. Obviously, the way the, the the Ravens came here and the immediate success has really pissed off a lot of people. Um, one of the people who, who OK, I'll give you a little bit of my background here, went to Syracuse and I, I knew I was not good enough to be a sportscaster when I graduated, but had an opportunity to interview as Bob Costas as assistant. OK, 19. That was in 1986. And then in 1990, okay, 1996, 10 years later, Bob Costas on the sideline at the very first game talking about how Baltimore should have never got a franchise. Lost all respect for the guy. Well, Lost I don't, all respect. I don't blame you for that because uh, <laughs> he uh, he's always struck me as the kind of guy who's going to line himself up with the popular point of view. He is going to be a follower, not a leader, a conformist of the highest sort. And the reason why I, I think I'm observant enough to point that out is because I've never been a conformist. Anybody who knows me, 42 years in Baltimore sports media over parts of six decades, anybody who's ever met me knows I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not going to kowtow to what the popular opinion is. That's what Bob Costas has always done for all his uh, technical quality, high quality as a play-by-play guy. The, the aura he puts around himself to, to act that way, it, it, I've just never been on board with that. Anyway, uh, I, I, I don't disagree with some of those comments about Bob. It's really a shame because, uh, uh, you know, it was he could have gotten on board. But I guess he, he might have been from Ohio as well. Uh, that, I thought he grew sure. up in St. Louis. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. I, mean, he, I know no, he, you very well might be right. He was a broadcaster for the St. Louis spirit of St. Louis of the ABA. OK. And he went to Syracuse, of course, as did many broadcasters. Mm-hmm. As for where he's from originally, I mean, his resume is transient enough, so transient. Well, I don't know where the guy's from, mm-hmm. and I'm not Fair ashamed enough. to say that. 
It's, it's, it's amazing with him. And he's a legend in the business. I understand that. But I, I swear to God, the, the way he just aligns himself a certain way, attitude wise, it's it's just shocking. Even all these years later, uh, he was he was here for that first game, September 1st, 1996. Picture postcard weather that day, which mm-hmm. I will never forget. Uh, I think it was uh, Tom Hammond and Bob Trumpy in the booth. And Bob Trumpy, who used to play in Cincinnati, yeah, he, he, he had said a, few, a bunch of stupid things too. He had a few things to say, and there were yeah. signs in the stands that, that Trumpy sucks or whatever they were. But yeah, Tom, Tom, Tom Hammond and Bob Trumpy were in the booth for that first game uh, with the Ravens and the Raiders. And uh, I, I'll tell you, I'm, this may have nothing to do with expansion, but uh, one thing I will never forget about that day is that. Uh, as you know, the locker rooms, you had to access the locker rooms by the baseball dugouts in mm-hmm. Memorial Stadium. And about an hour or so before the game, out of one of the dugouts comes Al Davis, uh, managing general partner of the Raiders. The minute he set foot on the playing surface, the PA system began playing sympathy for the devil by the Rolling Stones. <laughs> and I thought to myself, what Clever. just happened? What just yeah. happened? But see, here's the thing. It wasn't really meant to be aimed at Al Davis. That was part of the regular pregame tape the Ravens had planned for every game. But the way they played it that day, I will never forget that. That is perfect. That is absolutely perfect. Well, Jerry, we really appreciate you coming down, coming uh, on the show and talking to us about this. A great uh, reminiscing about this. It's a murky period for me, even, and it's great to, to hear a lot of more the details that I'd forgotten from you and uh, and go through this again. But uh, a lot of people, you know, younger than us, and that's pretty much everybody, you know, <laughs> is uh, uh, gonna gonna not recall this era. I think as well, and uh, it's worth time trying to preserve. I think so, Joey. Thanks for. Coming on, where can people talk football with you? Well, I'll tell you what uh, I've been and uh, I've been with the the sports column website, the sportscol.com. We do a podcast there. We tape it every Thursday. It's up every Thursday night. Uh, we've had nine episodes in the book. It's called Joey P and Frank. Uh, I'm still uh, doing a lot of writing game stories. The most complete Ravens opponent preview you'll find everywhere. That runs every Tuesday. And my straight up uh, predictions for every game on the NFL schedule every week. I'm hitting. About 70% winners right now, which is par for the course for me. Definitely want to get better, but we're, we're still doing that. And uh, uh, extra games to pick this year with the 17th week. Uh, didn't think we'd see that, but I guess the cash cow is going to keep bringing in money, so they're going to keep adding games. But uh, a lot of good stuff on the sportscol.com. We link to everything on my Facebook page and on Twitter, at Baltimore Joey P. All right. And, uh, folks, if you're hearing this and you want to do a 25 Years podcast, any reminiscence about uh, about Ravens history is good. Try. We're not looking for Mount Rushmore, top tens, you know, those kind no. of things. What we are looking for is individual players looking back, individual events, individual games, trends. You know, if you if you feel passionate about the way the Ravens have used Dimebacks over the years, that's the kind of great topic I love. Anyway, Joey, thanks for joining us again. Thank you and so me. very much, Ken. This has been an absolute blast. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. 
it's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.